Thank you. Aren't we blessed to have godly musicians in this church? Friday night, along with our family, we attended the Hale High School graduation because Michaela was graduating. And you know, one thing I really appreciated uh, were the talks that were given. Not the content, but the fact that they were short. I don't know if that is any message for me or not, but I don't guarantee a thing. Three weeks ago, Bill Sullivan presented a study of the difference between and the overlapping of God's mercy and God's grace. And last Sunday, Jim Grinnell brought a word on God's kindness and our kindness. And both of these sermons dealt with things that are characteristics of God, but characteristics that become ours as the Holy Spirit enters us and makes us conform to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank God that He has imparted the Spirit that causes that fruit to come forth to His glory and, of course, blesses us as those fruits are manifested in our relationship with one another. But these gifts could not be ours were it not for five signal events that we celebrate together as Christians. I want to begin this morning by talking about these five signal gifts. The first of these is the virgin birth, the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, that event that we celebrate every year if we follow the Western liturgical calendar. We celebrate every year on December 25th, and we've named that Christmas. And when you ponder that event, it's just the audacity of what God did. And you ponder it over and over again. It's staggering to think about, isn't it? When the second member of the Godhead, as Paul wrote the Philippians, who although he existed in the form of God, and the word form there is morphe, meaning essence, when he, he had divine essence, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on again the essence of a slave. And being made in the likeness, and the Greek word there is outward form of men. How could that be? <laughs> Remember when the angel appeared to Mary, he said, Behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. But even with that explanation, as we ponder this event, I don't know how you are, but I have to keep asking, how can this be? How could that have happened? That the one who had divine essence could give that up and take on the essence of a human being, a slave, and then take on the outward form of humanity. Brother and sister, if we're wise, 
we'll not just celebrate Christmas, but we'll meditate upon this wonderful miracle and all that it reveals about God and his relationship with us. The second of these signal events is the cross of Jesus Christ. That event in which atonement was made for the sins of the world, the atonement that can be accessed by all who believe in it and accept it. Now we commemorated that event on Friday of Holy Week, which was April 6th. Solemn time we were together in candlelit room and had the great cross and pondered all of those things that God did on that day. We also commemorate that event every Sunday as we partake of the Lord's Supper, even as our Lord instructed us. Paul wrote about it, For I received from the Lord that which I also received from you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It was important and is important that the cross of Jesus Christ be constantly in our awareness. I wonder how grieved God is today over churches that meet on Sunday morning in a grand celebration, but do not partake of the Lord's Supper, do not have the cross as a part of their meeting. We do well when, as both Bill and Jim have said in recent sermons, we ponder the wrath of God, the wrath that God has against sin and the wrath that God has against sinners, and then contemplate the cross in which atonement was made and reconciliation between God and man has been offered to us through Jesus Christ. The third signal event is the resurrection. That amazing morning in which the body of Jesus that had been in the tomb since Friday, a dead man, came forth from the grave and thus declared the Messiah's victory over death. This year, in keeping with the Western liturgical calendar, we celebrated that glorious event on April the 8th. Of course, because of the resurrection of Christ, every time we have a funeral we stand beside the grave, the casket before us, and before it is lowered into the grave, we read 1 Corinthians 15, and with Paul we can cry out, Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious thing to think of. The resurrection. Now these three events, the virgin birth, the cross, the resurrection, we celebrated months ago, but we still do well if we continually meditate upon Him. The fourth signal event is the ascension. 
And according to the Western liturgical calendar, which we follow, that event was Thursday, May 17th, a little over a week ago. But most churches celebrate Ascension Sunday the Sunday after. So last Sunday, May the 20th, was Ascension Sunday. And all over the world, Christians celebrated on the day that is now determined, or rather declared to be, the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you an interesting story. One day when Chuck was in the hospital, Chuck Farah, it was during the time he was staying in a assisted living house, uh, I think on 81st, he had been hospitalized. And so I went to see Chuck, and I was on his right side, and Barbara was at the foot of the bed, and there were two ladies on the other side of the bed. I think one of them was a chaplain from the home where he lived, I'm not sure. But I began praying for Chuck. And I bowed my head. And I prayed intensely. I was not aware of what was going on. But as soon as I started to pray, the bed began to rise. And the more I prayed, the more the bed rose. And the foot of the bed began to raise. Chuck was ascending to heaven, feet first. I opened my eyes and was somewhat astounded by what I saw. And I realized that at the intensity of my prayer, I was gripping the rail and touching the buttons <laughs> that controlled the bed. <laughs> Having learned that, I now use that occasionally to impress hospitalized people on the power of my prayers. <laughs> But the ascension of Jesus was supernatural. There were no buttons to push. Think of that. Jesus had been with the eleven, Judas having already by now hanged himself. And he had been giving them final instructions about what their role was going to be in the coming kingdom. And they had questions. He answered some. And then they left the city and walked seven-eighths of a mile to the Mount of Olivet. And there he began to further instruct them and said, Now, don't leave Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And he spoke of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that was going to come upon them. And then, even as he was instructing them, he began to rise. And we can just imagine what that must have been like. They watched him rise and higher and higher and became smaller and smaller and smaller as a speck almost entering the clouds. Their gaze was intense, almost as if by their gaze they could pull him back. But suddenly they were distracted by two men in white garments that stood before them. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come again in just the same way 
as you have watched him go into heaven. Brothers and sisters, the ascension of Jesus is very crucial to the life we live in his kingdom today. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, upholds all things by the word of his power, when he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4, 14-16 Therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7.25 Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus. Is he who died? Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Think of that. Our Lord ascended from the earth to the right hand of God, And there at God's right hand is our great high priest intercedes for us. He is our advocate with the Father, as you read a moment ago. Now, of course, this is anthropomorphic language, but the truth is there. He intercedes for us, not just for his church corporately, but for us individually as we come to his throne of grace. And all of this is possible because of what is commemorated on Ascension Sunday. Jesus Christ ascended to be our intercessor at the right hand of God's throne. The fifth of these signal events is Pentecost. And as we've already noted this morning, today is Pentecost Sunday, the anniversary of that astounding event that inaugurated the church. After Jesus ascended, the eleven apostles went back into Jerusalem to the upper room where Jesus' biological family and some of the women who had followed him from Galilee uh, were remaining. And, And this small group, Jesus' biological family, the women who had followed him from Galilee, and the eleven began an extended prayer meeting. Now at some point, we don't know when, others gathered together with them. 
And one day when there were 120 probably packed into this room at the instigation of Peter, no doubt led by the Holy Spirit, they chose someone to replace Judas, Matthias. This is recorded in Acts chapter 1. Now we don't know how much time passed between the appointment of Messiah, Matthias and the events that began to transpire in Acts chapter 2. But nevertheless, the twelve apostles were in a house at nine o'clock in the morning. The Bible tells us they were just sitting. We assume they were praying. We don't know for sure. But as the twelve were sitting in this house, there suddenly was a sound of a violent wind. And it was not a wind that was blowing from outside, but it was the sound of a wind inside the house. And there appeared on the heads of each of the twelve apostles tongues of fire. And they began to speak languages that they had never learned and they had never studied. Praising God in a variety of languages. Now, they may have gone out of the house into the street, we don't know, but some way this attracted the attention of those who were going to the temple to participate in the Feast of Pentecost. And a crowd gathered and Peter was put forth because, first of all, there were Palestinian Jews who only spoke Aramaic, and they heard many languages being spoken by the apostles. They didn't understand what it was, and so they said, this is just a bunch of drunks babbling. (laughs) But those from other languages, pilgrims to Jerusalem on that day, heard God being praised in their language, and this man heard God being praised in his language. We don't know how many languages. There are 15 different locations listed in Acts 2, but some of these are places where there probably was an overlap of languages. Since there were 12 apostles, it might have been 12 different languages. We don't know. But different people from different places who had a native language of their own, even though they could also speak Aramaic, heard God being praised in their language. A miracle. These are just a bunch of Galileans. Haven't even been to school. (laughs) How are they doing that? Palestinian Jews said, it's just a bunch of drunken babble. Peter then was put forth as the representative of the twelve. And he began to explain what was happening. And he spoke in Aramaic, which everybody could have understood. This, he said, is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. He quoted that, quoted the prophecy of Joel. 
And he went on and began to preach the first gospel sermon of what we might call the church age. And he began by speaking, certainly at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, about the identity of Jesus. This one whom you have taken and with wicked hands has crucified, God has raised up and made Him both Lord and Christ. The Holy Spirit actively moved upon the hearts of the hearers. A crowd in terror. What have we done? What have we done? Is there hope? Peter said there is. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise isn't just to you but it is to your children and to future generations, as many as are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And the Holy Spirit opened the hearts of 3,000 people on that day who came to Christ. The word repentance here and the word usually used in the New Testament for saving repentance is metanoeo, which means Change your mind about who Jesus is. Recognize that He is Lord and receive Him in that way. Repentance and belief in that sense were almost identical. But that's what He was crying for. Today, we live in that gospel age. (laughs) We live today, those of us who are in Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have that indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, which is the seal, the brand, the label of God has put upon us, saying we belong to Him. So all five of these signal events are essential for the relationship that we have with God today. Each one depends upon the previous one. Pentecost could not have happened without the ascension because Jesus received from the Father and then poured it out. There could have been no ascension without the resurrection and no resurrection without the cross and no cross without the virgin birth. These are the five signal, essential, necessary events for where we live today in the Lord. So that's where we are today on this Pentecost Sunday. What's next? The men who appeared to the twelve said this, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. That's next. (laughs) Let me talk about that a little bit. You know, most of us are so occupied with the affairs of this life 
And I must sad to say, sometimes we're so occupied with the business of church life that the thought of Jesus' return is quite remote. Yet let me tell you, it's as certain as his death. Jesus is coming again. I remember as a child after I had been immersed into Jesus and began to walk with him uh, in my simple understanding. (laughs) And I was so aware of many things in my life that weren't right even as a child. And when the preacher would preach about the second coming, in my heart I would say, Oh, come Lord Jesus, but not today. I wasn't quite ready. Because the church in which I grew up was somewhat critical. You see, Christians were defined by what they did not do, by what they did. You don't drink coffee, you don't dance, you don't play cards, you don't go to picture shows, that sort of thing. (laughs) And I went to picture shows. Mm, Terrible sin. Just don't come today, Jesus. (laughs) But he's coming. I just want to read some scriptures this morning, really without hardly any comment. Peter noted that in his day there were those who were skeptical about the return of Christ. And as the years went by, that skepticism was going to increase. Second Peter chapter 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. When they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water by water through which the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, the elements will melt with intense heat, but according to His promise we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. 
Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless, and blameless. Knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. This we say to you by the word of the Lord. We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. You know yourselves full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. You, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. You're all sons of light, sons of day. We're not of night nor of darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but be alert and sober. I'll not read the parable. You know the parable of the wise and foolish virgins in Matthew 25. But here's what the last line says. The point of that parable is this. Verse 13, be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Luke chapter 21, verses 20 to 36, records the prophetic statement that Jesus gave to the apostles as they were walking toward the mount after communion. He foretold the destruction of Jerusalem. Verses 20 to 24, he said, this is what's going to happen. So he devoted, at least Luke gives five verses to Jesus' comments there. And he concluded that by saying, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now at least the beginning of that fulfillment of the end of the times of the Gentiles took place with the establishment of the nation of Jerusalem. I think as we look at it, we'd have to say it isn't complete. But that's when it began. And then Jesus continued on in that prophecy. And here's how Luke recorded it. There will be signs in sun, moon, and stars. 
and on the earth dismay among the nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectations of things which are coming on the world. For the powers of the heaven will be shaken, then they'll see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He then told him a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it, you know for yourself, summer's now near. So also when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away to all things take place, reflecting back upon his previous, but heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life and that that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. But keep on the alert at all times. And so on and so on. We're in strange times right now. Some years ago, Gail Sheehy wrote a book called Passages. Dave and I have read the book. (laughs) I think she's done an excellent job in that book of describing the various phases of life. Historically, men have gone through chapters of life, I'm speaking of males, not mankind, which are about decades. Today, because of the extended time of people going to college and so on, that pattern has been somewhat disrupted, but we move from chapter to chapter in our lives. Women do the same thing. And when we're moving from one chapter to another, we are moving through a season of passage. And when you're going through a passage, the former landmarks no longer work. And you don't know what the future landmarks are going to be. And in that time of passage is when a lot of people do crazy things because they're bewildered. They just can't quite figure out how to navigate life during that passage. Historically, the same thing happens with nations and with people. I was just thinking yesterday as I was pondering about this matter of chapters in my own life, I I was born during the Depression, and so the first chapter of my life was lived during the Depression era and all the challenges of existing during that time. The Depression was broken by World War II, and none of us had any idea what life was going to be like after that war was over. That war was a time of passage. The previous landmarks were no longer appropriate. We had no idea what was ahead. And so that was a passage, a confusing time. Yet one thing was clear, we had to win the war. After World War II, there was another chapter, a time of stability, a time of growth, a time really of certainty. People could really plan and do things. 
Then came the Vietnam era, and all the previous landmarks were kind of thrown away, and nobody knew what was ahead. Frankly, it was just bewildering, especially to those of us who were in church leadership. And then it seemed in the early 80s, stability began to return. And we've had another chapter. Prayer meeting last month, Bruce and I were sitting next to each other and we were talking about the confusion of the world right now. And Bruce said, you know, in the Bible it talks about the sons of Issachar who understood their times. And he said, I don't understand our times. I, I said, I don't either. And nobody does. We are in a passage right now. The world, all over the world, is in turmoil. Nations are being disrupted. The world economy is disrupted. The whole religious scene in the world is being disrupted. We're in a passage. What's the next chapter going to be like? I don't know. But this I have to ask. Is it the last one? Will this passage ever reach the next chapter? Or will God say, it's time to ring down the curtain. I don't know, but this I do know. <laughs> I need to be ready. I need to be alert. People are always trying to predict that. You know, one book after another. Here's one. I, I Actually, I was doing some, some uh, as some of you know, astronomy is kind of a hobby of mine, and I was looking into some things, and this blog popped up. Why it was on that website, I have no idea. But here's this book about the end times. So here's this fellow who's written this book. And uh, this book was written in 2008. And God's time clock was working, but the next one wasn't going to kick off until this book got widely distributed. And it did. And in the middle of 2008, the, uh, America was going to totally collapse economically, or at least the beginning of the collapse was going to happen. I thought, wait a minute. Hmm. <laughs> but here's an interesting one. You don't know how important today is. The year 2008 marked the last of God's warning to mankind and the beginning in a countdown of the final three and a half years of man's self-rule that will end by May 27, 2012. By midnight tonight, we'll know whether or not this man's a false prophet. <laughs> so many things like that. We don't know the day or the hour, but the importance is, how do you answer this question? Are you ready? Are you on the alert? Are you longing? Are you longing for the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? In a way that can be achieved when we die, but all more gloriously will be achieved when He comes again. Are you ready? Are you alert? Come, Lord Jesus.
Father, thank you for the things that you have done to allow us to be a part of your kingdom. And Lord, we freely admit that in the necessities of the things of this life that require our attention, even to glorify you because we do them well, it is difficult to continue to be aware of the fact that unannounced Jesus is coming. Oh Lord, we pray that where there are signs of the times, we might see them and then know what to do when by your Spirit these are recognized. But most of all, Lord, individually, oh God, enable us to be ready. Through Jesus, amen.